Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, welcome to episode 134 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. First of all, as ever, hats off to our Patreon supporters, without whom you wouldn't be able to listen to this podcast. Now at this point every week, I normally ask if you'd be able to support our podcast via our Patreon page, but I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to ask if you're able to support a charity's crowdfunder. The charity is Kersler Arts, a charity that I've supported for years. It helped me while I was in prison, and now I'm proud to say that I'm on the board of trustees for this charity. Now, as you may be aware, Kersler encourages and support people within the criminal justice system to use any form of the arts as a creative outlet. Kersler Arts have just launched a crowdfunder for their third volume of Kersler Voices, New Poetry from Prisons. And this third volume's a little bit special, All of the poetry was written throughout the lockdown. (laughs) And I know you're thinking, well, it's lockdown. Those guys are locked down constantly. But, you know, it was hard for us out here in 2020 throughout the lockdown. But those guys had 23 and three quarter hour bang up each day for well over a year. No visits, no exercise, no association and lucky to have just enough time to have a shower. And as I recall this, they've already raised just over £4,000. So it's less than £1,000 still needed to reach the target. So if you're able, go over to Kersler Arts Instagram page. And that is K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R Arts. You'll see a link tree drop down box. And if you click on that, the top one there is support our new poetry anthology. And like I say for this podcast, if you're not able to support in a monetary sense, at least go over have a look, give it a like, give it a follow, and spread the word. Kirster asked me to read one of their poems. It was sent in by an entrant in HMP McGilligan, which is over in Northern Ireland, and it was called Going Equipped with a Pen, and I'll let you hear it at the end of this podcast. But anyway, back to this week's episode. I want to take you to meet Miss Verity Babs. And if you don't know Verity, she wears a lot of hats in the art world. So many that I'm going to have to read them from a list and take a big deep breath just before I do. So, 
Verity is a history of art graduate from the University of Oxford, artist consultant, writer, Art Laughs podcast host, assistant curator at Rise Art, a vlogger, Babs Art Club host, and to top it all, she's also a life model. And Verity says that she aims to talk about the arts in an accessible, funny, no-nonsense tone and hopes to engage new audiences to fine art, demystify the gallery and to entertain. Don't get better than that, right? So please, come and join me over Zoom as I spoke to Verity Babs. This afternoon, I'm with Verity Babs, art writer, curator and, so you say, an aspiring broadcaster. How are you, Verity? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. What's the aspiring? I saw you had written that somewhere. It's I, I, I used to do comedy a lot when I was back at university and I always used to refer to myself as an aspiring comedian. And I know that at a certain point you could just say that you are and then everyone has to get on board. But yeah, um, yeah, maybe maybe the aspiring is hoping that someone will see it and go, I'll get her to do something for me. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to take off the aspiring, but I figured as you'd put it, I figured there'd be a reason for it. <laughs> But um, there's seven questions that I ask each artist, Verity. The yeah. first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Nice. Well, I am, I suppose, primarily an art writer. Yeah. Uh, I work as the assistant curator for a company called Rise Art, who sell art online. Perfect. I also do some other bits of curation on the side. Um, my kind of passion project, I guess, is... Um, a YouTube series called Art Laughs, nice. where I interview comedians about a piece of art of their choice. Uh, and yeah, I guess the overarching theme of anything I do is, is trying to make art more accessible, more fun, um, yeah. trying to take some of the kind of po-facedness out of it. Um, I graduated from a history of art degree in 2019 and did some did some internships in, in fancy galleries in central London and just absolutely hated it. And thought oh, I, need to find a, I was like, I need to find a way to, to make this palatable as, yeah, a, life, as a life decision. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and has it been since then? Have you made better decisions since then? <laughs> I hope so. I think it's been a case of realising that in the art industries, a lot of the stuff you end up doing is stuff that you kind of make yourself and connections you formed yourself and and that kind of thing so not relying on what art jobs were being advertised online or which graduate schemes were being advertised online I mean meant that I was able to sort of free myself from yeah. <laughs> having to do, yeah work in very formal places or work with very formal people so yeah I've had, had a lot more a lot more choice recently which has been brilliant oh, nice nice I mean I can't I can't remember how we got chatting I know it was on Instagram but I know I'd um, listened to you possibly, would it have been on Joe's art history? Yeah, I spoke to Joe um, about Banksy and and um, you'd seen me talk to Patrick Hughes. That's, that's it. Yeah. Fucking, I think I've even got that written down here somewhere as well. <laughs> um, yeah. First thing, assistant curator, Rise Art brackets Patrick Hughes how cool is Patrick Hughes he's so cool it was so just... cool so yeah we did this series of Instagram lives and I was quite new to the company and I was like oh, why don't we do these it'll be really fun because it was the beginning of lockdown and everyone was going mad for Instagram lives so we interviewed some of the artists on our site and I interviewed Patrick who's just um so cool like unbelievably cool isn't he just um, yeah <laughs> it was great 
Yeah, he's. I, I, I don't know if you know my association with him, but when I was in jail, um, he was the second or third artist I wrote to. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, well, I, I, I say second or third. It was him and Ray Richardson I wrote to on the same day, you know, mm. um, and they were the second artist I'd, I'd written to once I'd sort of discovered and fell in love with art. And, um, yeah, been friends with him ever since. And yeah, what what a great what a great person, a, a wealth of knowledge and experience in this world, that's for sure. Yeah, he made my job of asking him questions. <laughs> very, very easy, Some, sometimes interviewing is a bit more <laughs> a bit more pulling like pulling nails, yeah. but or is it pulling teeth? What's the what's the phrase? Either way, they both yeah, fucking I never hurt, know. don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, both both are used. I've used both, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Um how did you how did you come about being assistant curator at Rise Art? Because that's, that's a pretty cool um, gig to get, isn't it? Yeah, it was great. So um, I'd been out of my degree, like graduated from my degree for about six months. So I actually got my job there in February so of 2020. So worked in, in our office for oh, about a month and a half, and then and then the world <laughs> shut down, and I haven't haven't stepped into the office since. So uh, yeah, I. I think I found the you know the job online and and did the whole applications process and we used to be based out of out of Somerset House which was really yeah, like kind of a, this very um, kind of coming of age type film where you know I'm growing up in the countryside and I come to the big city and then I go and work in Somerset House around with <laughs> art and, like every day I was like someone should be filming me now yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it was great. It was, it was interesting as well because I actually I'd applied when I, when I started at Rise. I was the um, artist liaison, which sounds which sounds great, um, and and talking to the artist and and sorting out all of their issues if they have any issues with the site and just talking to them, which was brilliant. But I'd actually applied um, a few months previous to a different job at Rise, which was a kind of more operations uh, spreadsheety kind of role, yeah. and 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 didn't get it and applied for this next one. And and when I started. At the company I realized that I'm so glad I didn't get that spreadsheet <laughs> like, I would have been I would have been terrible brilliant <laughs> like it was yeah a lot of operations a lot of working out shipping costs and I was like I oh, would man. have been pants at this yeah that's that's the bit everyone hates doing anyway and you're going to be doing it all day <laughs> yeah if you yeah if you if you've got kind of what I like to call like an organized mind <laughs> you can deal with that I just couldn't deal with it <laughs> And has it been during lockdown with them? Are you still with them? I should ask. I am. Yeah, it's great. So it's, it's a little company, and we all have our, you know, daily meetings, saying what we're going to get up to. But it's it's really been like an absolute joy to be with them, which is which is so nice. Because I remember I had a kind of horror story esque uh, internship when I first started working at a at a central gallery. And I came home to my flatmates one day in tears, saying, "I think I'm too nice to work in the art world." <laughs> and I said, I'm, "I said I'm too sensitive. I can't take anyone being at all blunt with me. Maybe, maybe I need to definitely work, like work for myself, and 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 you know, hide in a cupboard." But um, so it's been Brilliant. really nice to work for somewhere somewhere nice enough that, um, that I can I can cope. <laughs> And, but you can cope there, all right, yeah? Absolutely, they're, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Um, and then the main thing we could all do now is is with a bit of laughter and art laughs. I wasn't aware of it until you told me about it, to be to be honest. And um, perfect. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, not, it's, not, it's not yet a major hit, but... 
<laughs> I promise it's very good. Um, Likewise, so, I'll agree. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, during the first lockdown, had some time on furlough, and I was like, right, what, what am I gonna do with this? And I guess that's quite a, a lot of people say it's quite like a millennial headset to be like, yeah, right, how am I gonna, you know, hu- use this hustle time or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, like th- through uni, I've been doing stand up and, and a lot of improv and I was like, I know, I know funny people. Yeah. I'll get them to spare half an hour of their time and I'll just yeah. Yeah, interview them over Zoom and I'll get them to pick a, a, an artwork and we'll just chat about it. And some of the episodes, you know, we talk about the piece of art for about a minute 30 and the rest of the time is, is whatever we've ended up stumbling yeah, onto and they, and they end up being about bigger topics and yeah. stuff like that. But it's been really exciting. We've had some great people on. We had Rosie Jones on. That was brilliant. Had, had Chloe Petz on. Um, and and yeah, it's really exciting. It's quite nice as well to have a project that is sort of just for me. I mean, obviously, like, people can watch it. But it's nice to have something that I'm not, like, it's not monetized, yeah. And it's not for necessarily for any kind of portfolio um but it was good to do something vaguely funny again because at the point where I left uni I was like I'm gonna move to London I'm gonna do stand up there and you know break break into the London scene baby um and then everything shut down and the idea of doing a gig over zoom um just fills me with despair and dread (laughs) so you put Netflix on hold and have to wait (laughs) Exactly. Wait like, from us special. Well, exactly. Like if if I'm going to have to push that back two years, Netflix, <laughs> Netflix are just going to have to deal with it, Gary. Do you know exactly. what? Exactly. They need to stop hounding me with their email. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it was it was nice to have that project, and I'm hoping that's something that we're going to translate from a YouTube series into a podcast. Nice. And, and it's something my, my dad always says, he says, but the good thing about the about YouTube is that you can see the pictures we're talking about. I mean, a big part of the uh, of the show, I guess, is talking through things like how people talk about things. So not just referencing artworks and assuming that people know what that is. I, I had that a lot at, at university. Um, so we're a really small year group and I was at Oxford and there were 13 of us, I think. And I was one of the only, you know, one one of one or two, maybe Max, who hadn't been to private school. And I was w- one of one or two who weren't from London yeah. or weren't from very near London. Yeah. So there were a lot of times where things were referenced or places or artworks were referenced that just weren't in my vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. So I really think that it took me the three years to kind of catch up with like essay writing skills but also three years to know that oh okay that's the kind of thing that is in the national gallery that's where that is you know it was, it was one of those things where I think one one of our lectures they mentioned you know this is in Florence has anyone been to Florence and everyone kind of apart from two of us put our hands up and it's like well so, so it's almost like it's, it's not necessarily the education you get in a, yeah. in, a, in a in a private school it's the extracurricular access yeah. things um, so yeah, I just knew that I really wanted to make something where the thing was shown to you um, that we were talking about. But um, I think podcasts are, are a lot more people listen to podcasts than will sit down and watch a whole YouTube video. So so we'll see well, how that it, goes. Of a certain age, you know. I mean, my my kids sit and watch they'll sit and watch a YouTube um, program, and and you can't get them in front of the telly. They they wouldn't listen to a podcast. 
Um, yeah, it's all horses for courses, really. But you can um, you can put your um, videos, you can turn them into um, audio, can't you? And just put them out as they were already. Yeah. So, so the plan is to take you know ten ones that really worked and put them out as out as podcast audio, which would be good. So that's that's hopefully upcoming. But, but yeah, I think it is interesting that generational thing of who I don't even necessarily think it's generational, but I have friends who absolutely love podcasts and love reading yeah. but can't but can't watch the television or don't you know don't aren't into films yeah. and it's been a lifelong thing of I've never gotten into reading I've just yeah. never enjoyed reading and I'm not great on a podcast because I'm not very good at concentrating on anything for very long so I do sort of need the flashy bright lights of Netflix yeah. and I need yeah. adverts coming at me all the time the ones I've seen it looks like they've all been your mates is that correct <laughs> yeah I've met I've met most of them we've only just started to do do ones where um, I'm reaching out to comedians sort of yeah. off the bat, but most of them are ones are people that I've worked worked with before, yeah. And it's it, it felt it felt like it felt very much like I feel this one is for me, is that it's not a hobby, it's not a job, it's just something you want to talk about that subject with a like-minded person. And sometimes it's pretty bloody good if you don't know them. You know, I mean I've done many a podcast where I've just put the screen up, we've said hello to each other. And um, I, I like to discover their work at the same rate that the listener is, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's been interesting recording the ones where I already know the person or, or to the extent at which I already know the person. And the, the main thing I think I found is listening back is the language I use with, uh, obviously, you know, the people that you talk to regularly, you use less formal language. Yeah, so of some of the ones that I film with, you know, especially, you know, girls that I've known for years, it's yeah. all, it's all yeah. quite sleepovery. But, um, <laughs> but you know what, if that's, if that, that's how it turned out. That's, that's what was funny. That's what was fun at the time. Then so be it. It's personality, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. we're all different with different people, aren't we? You know, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't talk to me mate how I speak to me, to me mum, for instance. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's all, all about different personalities. The comedians that you've had on so far, I, I can't remember where I saw it, but you said they're they're up and coming comedians. Have you chose that area because that's the comedians that you know, or that you want it to be accessible for that range of comedian? So I think that yeah, like primarily when I first started, it was all people that I'd done improv with um, yeah. back at back at uni. So it was just you know my funny mates from that, and then went in with people that I'd gigged with and done stand up with, and then moved from there. So the first you know 15 are basically are pretty much all oxford based yeah and then it was nice to kind of move on from that and with up and coming it was quite good because a couple of people i've managed to get them just before they go on television so it makes it look like i've got a really keen eye whereas actually i just happen to know them but i think that similarly to any you know anyone who's starting out in their career of any any type especially in anything creative it's so nice to have any opportunity to talk about what you do yeah, I agree. so it has been yeah to a certain extent it's been nice to feel like even though my 30 viewers will really enjoy this it's not giving them great exposure but it is giving them something that they can say i was on this series or it, it, or what have you and it's it nice to matter, really yeah I mean, exactly to be honest when, when people say to me how many um listeners do i have about 18 months ago i genuinely stopped looking because like you know i'd be i'd look at the the figures and say, oh, they was really into that person. Maybe I should get more people like that. And the figures were starting to become too important. And that wasn't what I'd done this for. I'd done it to speak to interesting artists 
and let everyone hear a different level. So I could have a Turner Prize winner or I could have a homeless person who um, uses art to get off the streets. And then all of a sudden I'm sort of being sort of governed by these figures and going somewhere else. I, I think it's important as well when you like stop looking at the figures and it's something I've been thinking about recently a lot of, is that this sort of imposter syndrome where, you know, right at the beginning saying, you know, I, I refer to myself as an, as an aspiring whatever, rather than just saying I am you know, that thing, is that for, you know, the creative field is often filled, filled with um, childhood overachievers who are, who are <laughs> yeah. now desperately trying to kind of gain that sense of self back. Yeah. And, and the thing of being perfectly happy that my little YouTube series has about 30 people watching it, and but the people who watch it really like it, yeah. getting really used to that being acceptable. When I went to university, I'd, I'd, I'd come from a, you know, a, a rural state school where I had been you know, pretty much top of the class at the things I did and, and, went, and went to Oxford and was absolutely objectively the, the worst in, in the year group. And that was a big <laughs> sort of an, 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 an ego <laughs> leap I had to make, yeah. which I think actually was probably better for my all or nothing personality than if I'd gone to being in the middle of the class. That might have driven me mad. But yeah. learning that it's all right to not be, you know, the best, not be the person who has the most followers, has the biggest pay packet, whatever. I think that that is sort of at odds with a lot of social media hustle culture stuff. Yeah. So learning that thing of doesn't matter who's watching it, the people who are watching it like it, or, you know, it doesn't matter who follows me, the people who follow me do interact with what I do, yeah. or, you know, as long as, as long as, as long as you're happy in it. That's what I keep on saying to myself, despite the fact that I want to have, I want to have a million followers and, and three, and three Netflix series. <laughs> I have to say it's all right if I don't, it's all right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm easy with where I am on, on, you know, whatever rung I happen to be yeah. on, on this, uh, podcast ladder or the the arts ladder or the combined the art podcast ladder I'm yeah I'm, I'm cool you know people are listening to it I I talk with I, I don't know if if you've heard any of the other podcasts but I speak to every other art podcast I don't see any competition whether anyone else does I I haven't noticed it at all but um yeah everyone's in the same in the same gang you know and uh all try to help each other as far as I'm I'm aware you know do you listen to Annie McGraw's Secret Artist? I do, I do. It's so good. It's so good. And that's and that's the thing of there is a big crossover between art and comedy in that a lot of people who are creative in one way are creative in another way as well. Yeah. So you get a lot of comedians that also paint or a lot of comedians who also know a lot about art or singers who also dance or, or you know, whatever. Um so yeah, there's quite a few people who are who are doing this nice niche of art and comedy, which I think can only only possibly be a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than viewing it as competition, viewing it as isn't it good that people do want art to be accessible and do yeah. want to have fun with it? That's kind of the the takeaway from it. I mean, like you say, it's just it's just everyone's creative. It's just most have found which way is the best way for them to bring out that creativity you know to express it whether it be comedy music poetry visual art you know whatever whatever um yeah everyone finds that direction so we've all started from the same creative place um it's just how we express it is is different do you listen to um Stuart Goldsmith's ComCom pod I haven't no you know Stuart Goldsmith yeah right he's got 
um, an, a comedy podcast called The Comedian's Comedian. Oh, I'm, I'm oh I've, I've heard of that. I've, I have it's heard of it. Massive. It's, it's like ma massive, as in he's had every comedian on there, you know? Yeah. And I'd listen to, I think, I don't know what he's up to now, possibly like episode 300 or something. Because I like comedy myself, I started listening to Stuart Goldsmith's. And after listening to um, him analyse comedians and their gags and their sort of the way that they analyse and build their own gags up, I've discovered it's exactly the same as I try to unfold or create a conceptual artwork. Because yeah. I start off with the punchline, be it time, for instance, like I was saying earlier. And then I think to myself, what's the best way that I can visually show people time? I have this little puzzle that for in the back of my mind, possibly for a few months, that I'll be trying to sort of like a little Rubik's cube, you know, that I'm yeah. trying to sort of figure out the best way to do it. And then over a process, I go, bang, there it is. That's the best way that I can figure to show time. And it, it seems to be pretty much the same as how the comedians put a gag together, you know? They start off a lot of the time with a punchline and try to, to work back from it. Yeah, exactly. Working out like this is this is the bit, this is the 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 concept that is going to get those laughs. And how do we work backwards from that? I when I was at university, I was doing a lot of solo sketches where that was the you know, I've got the punchline or I've got the visual that I wanted mm. to do. Um, and and trying to find a way to desperately find desperately find a gag that would allow me to, you know, sit in a cardboard box or that would allow me to make a big paper mache head or whatever. Yeah, yeah. In my third year, I was making this massive, massive paper mache head. And my roommate said, What is that for? And I said, It's for the show. And she said, What what's the gag? And I said, I don't know, but I know that I need yeah, exactly. I need, I know that I know that I need to have this brilliant. in it. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Well, Annie come on my podcast. Um she was doing a joke called a joke. Fucking arc at me. Um, uh, her exhibition. I heard it. heard the episode with the um, art is the best medicine. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she came on for that. That was pretty cool. And from that, you know, I, I saw just how many comedians were bloody good artists from that show. You know, I already knew a couple that were good, but there was lots of of artists there that that were really very good. Yeah, and that's the thing of of comedians doing art especially when you're doing art that is meant to be funny is that you know you can have a portrait and the portrait you know has a speech bubble and the speech bubble is saying something funny which makes the piece funny mm. whereas if you were to submit that portrait just on the basis of being a portrait but on a funny portrait that might not you know make it into the the summer exhibition yeah. but because it's funny and because we know what you're up to I was thinking about um David Shrigley of the stuff yeah. he does I mean his painting of a of a rooster is is never going to kind of be in a, a standalone would probably not make it into many galleries. No. But the fact that the rooster is telling you to fuck off, very funny, exactly. and suddenly yeah. it's genius. <laughs> yeah, the, I know that you and I have said this before. There's not enough funny in art, and you know David Shrigley is one of them who does get away with it. Mm. Um, there's quite a few artists that that do do it, but it gets to a point, and I don't know what that point is when humorous is allowed in art as soon as it gets to funny it leaves art and goes somewhere else for it goes to, yeah it goes to cartoon or goes yeah. to yeah, satirical whatever and I think one of the things as well is there's there's lots of art that is funny and the artists are making things that are meant to make you laugh or, or think about funny things whatever but I think that where that ends as well is in the 
kind of more formal aspect of the arts as an yeah. industry. So like there aren't galleries who who part of their kind of their you know the essence of that being is not about making art funny and accessible and or you know there aren't museum guides who are going around like with a smirk on their face telling you why this is actually really funny that that Tintoretto did this um and I think that even though the artwork might be funny you know someone auctioning off a David Trigley isn't going to tell you a joke while they do it I think it's (laughs) it's very contained very funny trying to see people talk about you know talk about some of Damien Hirst's work or talk about Banksy's work with you know very very seriously and very earnestly yeah and you go, no he's 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 having a laugh like this is it's about having a laugh I mean yeah, they're, they're finally talking yeah. about an artwork that makes you cry you know yeah that's, that's acceptable you know there's no opposing end to the to laughter you know there's it's a bottomless pit for fucking misery and and sadness but then there's a ceiling for humor and funny isn't there you know yeah, or it's it's viewed as like uh, you know a, a base emotion. Yeah. That, you know, <laughs> similarly in the way that they they don't intentionally show art art shows that are designed to make you horny. Like they, <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> like they, they don't show ones that are meant to make you laugh aloud because the gallery structure doesn't yeah. allow for that. Like I think it's not enough to have funny artworks. You've also got to have funny curators, and yeah. you've got to have funny uh, you know funny museum guides and stuff like that where it's you know, the idea of looking at David Trigley's work in a white cube gallery where everyone's got to be quiet and, and, and you know, no, no touching and no laughing and certainly no smiling yeah. is, is, is sort of, that's sort of an artwork in itself. That, that, the irony itself is, um, you could frame that. Yeah, I went to um, Jake and Dinos exhibition at, I can't even remember where it was. I think it was somewhere near Hyde Park and they were showing a um, film there and something really tickled me in the film when I laughed out loud. And fucking people were looking around at me. And I ain't being funny, Jake and Dinos Chapman, they're brilliant, but you know, they sort of poke fun at, at everything around them, you know. And yeah. I've laughed at something they've done which was fucking funny. And people <laughs> were looking at me as if I was like, you know, what's he doing in here, sort of thing, you know. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a, a Paul McCarthy video in Tate Liverpool. And and the guys running around with massive inflatable hands, and you know jumping on paint tubes that are full of that are supposedly full of human feces, yeah. and people walking in and sort of nodding and being very you know, letting us all know that they're thinking deeply about it. It's like no, this is this is mad. <laughs> this, is, this is mad. And you're meant yeah. to be like you're meant to think what's going on rather than you know, going oh it's a it's a message about you know the the creator as lone genius. Yeah. You're like no, he's jumping on a tube of shit. <laughs> that's so good good in itself you don't there's only so much seriousness that a tube of shit can hold (laughs) exactly and it's and it's not very much (laughs) exactly did you see sarah maple's um sitcom i didn't i love sarah's work though i've seen i've seen a lot of her stuff she's brilliant she's and again she's she's great with um with humor and funny Mm. as well in her artwork but yeah her um sort of treading new ground with a, a with a sitcom or expressing art in the form of a sitcom fucking genius i was properly proud of of seeing that you know and not that it was not that i've got a reason to be proud but i mean i was so happy you know it's it, it, as i say it's breaking new ground and um yeah brilliant really mm-hmm. good 
getting back to my questions because we've only done one so far <laughs> <laughs> when when was your first interest in art therapy um so i remember probably first being interested in art in like a concept in contemporary art uh which i guess was, was for me was my way in we would go every year as a family since i was about like two or three every year to this town in North Devon where my grandmother grew up uh, called Ilfracombe. Oh, and lovely. that is where Damien Hurst has, yeah, he has, has a restaurant. Yeah. And we, we went every year and we'd always go to this restaurant. I'd always laugh at the fact that the, the wallpapers were, the wallpaper was covered in pill, yeah. like pill print and stuff like that. And I always thought, you know, despite even at an age where I wasn't really sure about what conceptual art was, I always knew that Damien Hirst is this artist that does really funny things with like yeah. fish in boxes. Nice. And, and so that really started that off for me. And um, I really liked doing art as a teenager and, and did it as an A-level and stuff like that. And then for, for parts of that, you do do research. And I found that I really got into conceptual art as something where contemporary art, where, any idea is the right idea. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas I guess with more traditional art, there is more so a right and wrong answer in terms of, you know, this is a portrait of the king of wherever, whereas yeah. other things are, are more open to interpretation. But it must have been when I was about 17 and we were back at Ilfracombe again. And that's when um, Damien Hurst did his huge sculpture there, nice. uh, which is called Verity. It is. So, it so is. that was kind of full circle for me. Nice. So I yeah. think he's I think he's closed that restaurant now. Yeah, and there was a shop at one point, but he's bought he's been heavily involved in that area for quite a long time. Um and he's so, yeah, in the area altogether, I think. Yeah, so it's interesting because there's a lot of, you know, his his five-star restaurant or whatever is is next door to a very nice like pasty shop and a place where you can buy buy rock and uh and you know nets for going crabbing and, and I'd much rather go to the pasty shop to be honest. Well, 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 yeah, I'd, ra I'd rather go to the pasty shop and then like sit in the chairs at his place. Because <laughs> I think he's getting rid of Verity from there as well. Yeah, it was only on loan to them for about, what, it might have been 10 years, seven years or something. Wow. So, um, so yeah, it's going somewhere else. But that was a, that, that, felt, that felt like a significant kind of, yeah, he knows who I am. He definitely doesn't know who I am. But, <laughs> yeah. He was just waiting for you to come around the corner. Yeah, the, the, the vibes are in the air. <laughs> What piece of art, Verity, has got the strongest emotional connection with you? It's so unlike me in terms of what I actually like, but I saw it once when I was doing my degree, and it's a mother holding a, her daughter on her, her lap, um, and she's teaching her how to play the lute. It's called The Music Lesson, but I'm not sure the name of the artist will come to it. It's Frederick Layton. Okay. So Frederick Layton's uh, the, the Music Lesson, and it's very beautiful. It's very pre raphaelite and and and, and gorgeous colours, and... and one, you know, one of the reasons that it draws me so much is, is, you know, thinking about my relationship with my mother, but I think it's just so, so beautiful. And I think when you deal a lot with contemporary art, you spend a lot of time trying to think about, you know, why does this matter? And you think yeah. about concepts and stuff. Whereas this has a real emotional impact for me because I think it's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, I saw that you, uh, when you'd done one with Chelsea Birkby. Yeah. Um, she had Van Gogh's portrait, the blue portrait. Yeah. And um you said to her, why do you like that um, painting? And she said, it's just really pretty. Yeah. And I thought, what the, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Much more fucking perfect answer than perfect or beautiful. Well, you know, it just, 
attracts you to it. Beautiful. Yeah, and and that's one of the big things I find. A, I'd say to you know friends, you know, come come to this exhibition opening with me tonight. It's gonna be great. And um, there'll be some drinks there. Like we'll go out into town afterwards. It'll be great. And they'd immediately seize up and be like, I'm not gonna say the right thing. And we go, um, if I manage to convince them and say, you know, do you like that? Do you not like that? And they, they're just kind of petrified to say the wrong thing. And, yeah. I, and I said, you know, if the reason you like that is because it's enormous, that's the right answer. And that's exactly. a fear that I think, yeah, comes from potentially from school, but also from the, the yeah, the sort of the vibes around the art industry is that there are gatekeepers who have the, have a secret book of answers. And if you don't know what those answers are, you should be, you should be ostracized. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, if the answer of why you like that is because it's blue or because it's really pretty or because, you know, I, I just think that, the music lesson is really like a really lovely picture of a mother oh. and a child having a nice time playing the lute. Yeah, that's the right answer, you know. Ah, oh, that's and that's that's all it needs to be. I love that. <laughs> what do you do? Relax, very. What do I do to relax? I'm not a very relaxed person. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so it's it's quite hard to say. I like swimming. I go swimming and. I always worry that they're going to think that I'm drowning because what I like to do is I like to go to the deep end and just sort of bob up and down and like go under the water. I find being underwater very, very, um, some, sometimes I feel like how I feel when I'm underwater is how a lot of people who have religion feel like when they're in a church. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. Which, is, which sounds, <laughs> sounds mad, but yeah. No, there's, you're uh, at peace. There's, there's no noise. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. And I think swimming is one of the ways I sort of force myself to relax because I think like, like a lot of people, if you, even if you're watching a film, but you're at home, you know that you could be checking your emails on your phone or yeah. you could be, you know, reading that book you've been meaning to read or, or completing that work. So actually the nice thing about being underwater is I can't use my phone because it would get wet. <laughs> like I have to be relaxed. There's nothing else to do. I'm not very good on board, so um, so yeah, maybe that. <laughs> Did I see that you've done some life modelling as well? I had, yeah. So excellent, well done. It's a really good thing. I I love doing it, and um, and like growing up and being like, you know, bigger than most of my friends, and like dealing with body stuff. Actually, there's nothing that makes you feel better about your body than just going and being being objective. Superb. And yeah. um I nearly went yeah. to clap then when you said that. So <laughs> yeah. but no, it's 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 really good fun. It's it's interesting to see what the future of it will be because obviously nowadays you can kind of a lot of artists sort of imagine their their yeah. their figures or they take reference points from the internet and things like that. But yeah, I always go go away from 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 a session kind of feeling like um again, like someone should be filming me right now because this is this is the, this is going to be part of the biography. Yeah, nice. <laughs> the biopic. Was, was it very scary the first time? I mean, I've, I've obviously never done oh, I don't know why I keep saying, obviously. I've never done it. I've sat for artists, but, you know, obviously with me clobber on. But, um, yeah, was it was it very scary the first time? It it wasn't. So it was, it was interesting. The first time I actually did it for the people at Blue Shop Cottage, which is up in Camberwell. Yeah, that's what I saw. Down in Camberwell. Um, and because the front of the gallery is all window um we realized that we couldn't actually do it completely nude because there were passers-by yeah. so I was in this sort of beige swimming costume which I think actually because I, I hadn't I'd sat for my mum and her friends who all are kind of um you know enjoyed painting um as a teenager 
So doing this again, um, it was quite nice to ease into it with that, with that, with that beige swimming costume. But I think that if anything, sometimes life drawing is weirder for the people who are drawing you. Yeah. Because they're not sure about the etiquette of looking. So it is, yeah, it's, it's very freeing for me and potentially more alarming for them, especially when I'm like talking to them while also <laughs> fully frontal. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I had um, Abby Joy Samuel and Tiffany Cowan here um, a few weeks apart. Both of them are artists, both of them are life models. But um, Abby Joy was, she'd just started life modelling. I think she'd only done it once or twice when we spoke. And... Um, yeah, she was saying pretty much the same as you, you know, um, how invigorating it is and, you know, how much freedom that you feel, you know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm always sort of uh, doffing my cap to anyone <laughs> that, um, that dares to do it because I, I wouldn't have the arsehole to do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I model sometimes for an artist called Jess Cochran, who, who is brilliant, and she takes photographs of, of her models and then blows those photographs up to, you know, cover the wall and then paints abstractly over the top and conceals wow. some things and reveals other things. And I wrote an article about it when, when it was happening. And it's a very strange process to see, you know, obviously it is a picture of me, but eventually it, does, it stops being of me. I know yeah. that it was once of me, but your body becomes a, yeah, it's a, it's it's a picture of a body. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of not you anymore. And that's an interesting thing to get your head around as well. Yeah. If you was curating a show, Verity, with five artists, past and present, what would that ideal group show be? I do living artists because uh, they need the money more than dead ones, uh, and and you know the dead ones are probably probably had enough exhibitions. <laughs> um, I'd yeah, I'd lo I'd love to curate a group show at the moment. I'm thinking about curating a group show with you know young female artists who work in textiles. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah. So that that that'd be one one take on the other hand i want to do something i'd love to do something really funny very silly um trying to think of you know of specific artists i, I always end up mentioning this artist on on podcast but uh there's a swedish artist called bobo walmanson who paints uh big canvases with um with chimpanzees who are you know jumping on jumping on sofas or yeah. or playing with lamps and something and they're just so joyous like, i'd love to curate a show where the only um the only um yeah sort of rule for being accepted into the show was the work has to just be really joyous <laughs> nice yeah that's not a bad thing yeah. especially at the moment um i mean you're saying about work being joyous did you go to lucy sparrows i chemist? didn't i didn't she was she also did the the, the this supermarket as well and i and i missed both of them i knew she was doing the chemist and i didn't know where it was um and on my first day out a few weeks ago um i went to the Gagosian. And it turned out to be just pretty much next door, you know, 30, oh, 30 metres away. And I just saw a queue. And and <laughs> when you're in jail, if you see a queue, you get to the back of it and then ask what it is, you know. And I've, <laughs> and I've never got rid of that. You know, I see a queue and I have this fucking uh, <laughs> magnetic pull towards the queue. So I sort of saw the queue, went over to it. And yeah, and I'd heard about it and I'd seen it online. And it just so happens that I was there. And there was a... Um, you had to book to get on, uh, mm. to get in. And uh, there was a guy sort of um, on the door there. Uh, he said, look, you're going to have to wait. If you haven't booked, you're going to have to wait for someone who doesn't turn up. Yeah. So I went, all right, mate, not to worry, but, you know, thank you anyway. And he went, excuse me, sir. And I, I said, yeah. He went, 
um, we've got someone, I'm giving them five more minutes to turn up. And I went, oh, okay then. So I stayed there for about 10 minutes. And he went, yeah, you can go in now. And yeah, just like you were saying there, extremely joyous and a, a fucking antidote to, uh, to the world we're living in at the moment, it was. What a lucky cue. I, we went, what was it, 2015? And it was when Banksy was doing Dismaland. Brilliant. Down in um, Western Supermare. And it was the day before the tickets were being released online. Wow. And we were like, you know what? We're going to get in the car. Me and my mum and my dad <laughs> drove down and we we're like, we'll risk it. You know, maybe maybe there'll be fewer people here because people haven't got their online tickets yet. So they're not sure they'll get in. Yeah. And we got there and had, you know, a tiny you know, 20 minute queue and then got in. Whereas you hear these stories of people kind of queuing for six hours to get in and stuff like that. I love wow. it. I love a happy queue story. <laughs> and what did you think of it? I, I went. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. I really view that as quite like formative experience. I agree. Me. Yeah, it turned up, how old would I have been? About 17. Um, and just was like, yeah, this is this is what it's about, isn't it? Like, um, probably the, a part of that kind of teenage angst of, you know, no one understands me, but I yeah. feel like I feel like Banksy does, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you and Joe were talking about this on a yeah. podcast on, on Joe's Art History. And um, yeah, it, it did feel very, very punk, you know, being in the art world. And there's, you know, it's, it's normally just, you know, white walls and yeah. uh, variations of that. And then to go there and um, not quite knowing what was going on, even when you was looking at certain things, you had to sort of figure it out in front of you, you know, and I thought it was quite an amazing show. Quite amazing. It was brilliant. If you wasn't in the arts verity, what would you like to be? Well, I, I suppose I'd like to be a, you know, a, a, a comedian if, if I wasn't in the arts. Um, but the problem is all the other jobs I can imagine myself doing in another in another life. I've 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 started to, uh, to say that quite a lot at the moment. I go in another life I'd be this, and as as if I'm 85 and like <laughs> nearing the end. But um, I think since since being like little little, I've I've always loved the idea of being like a musical theatre actress. Yeah. Nice. Um, but that's not the kind of thing that you can just really do yeah. if you can't really sing or dance but in another but in another life <laughs> I'm a musical theatre actress or or sometimes you know an interior designer you know I have these different different <laughs> different images of of in a different life that's what I'd be there's a few artists who, who sort of make a living at art and in comedy and mm. you know what, there's, there's not many of them but but some of them do making that balance work yeah 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 I loved your episode with them um, with Katie Wicks that was brilliant Oh, yeah, and I got another, so much love from that. Yeah, another comedian who who is making it work with art as well. What have you got coming up, Verity? Uh, more more art laughs episodes. Nice. Um, hopefully, getting back on the comedy scene now that now that things are reopening. Um, carrying on writing, sort of ca carrying on the 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 grind for hopefully long term long term benefits. Not chasing not chasing the the short term hustle. Uh. Learning, learning how to learning how to sit still and be comfortable with it. You know, self self improvement is upcoming. And is Rise Art um, looking at opening its doors again? Yeah, so we've soon? got we've got we've got a new office uh, which we uh, which we've moved into, and we've got a show in there that you can um, book to come and come and visit. So that's really exciting. And um, if anyone wants to be a part of Art Rise. Are they still taking artists at the moment? 
Yeah, so you can apply to uh, be uh, part of the site uh, via a submission form on our website. So if you just search that, um, search riseart.com, uh, there will be a form on that that you fill in with your details and we'll take a look at it. And what, what do they do? Do they look at a certain amount every month or two or? Yeah, so we, um, you'll hear back within the month. Uh, we review all, all of our submissions. You'll hear back. Everyone will always hear back because that's one of the worst things in the world is when you reply to something. Oh, you've never, never. I'd rather get a no than a, than a void, you know. Yeah. So we'll, everyone will hear back. Uh, that's normally within the month. All right, brilliant. Well, Verity, thank you so much for your time. All the very Thanks best. so much, Gary. It's been brilliant. Cheers. Have a good Bye. night. And you. Bye. Bye-bye. There we are, Verity Babs. How cool is she? I'm always banging on about we need more humour in the art world and more accessibility. Then bang, I come across Verity Babs. And if you like a bit of comedy, go over to Verity's YouTube channel called Art Laughs, which is where she speaks to a different comedian about their favourite artwork. Just a couple of weeks ago, she spoke to Jenny Eclair. That was a blinder. In this episode, Verity spoke about her love of Banksy. And if you're also a fan of Banksy, you can go over to Joe's Art History podcast, episode 22, which is where Verity spoke in depth to Joe about how much Banksy means to her and her practice. Verity also runs the Babs Art Club, a monthly discussion club that she's running over on Zoom. The tickets are free via Evenbrite. So if you go over to her Instagram page, you'll see that she's also got a Linktree drop-down box and you'll find all the links there. As mentioned in the intro to this podcast, Kersler Arts are doing a crowdfunder. They needed just £5,000 to release the third volume of their poetry anthology. They've already got just over four, so they need just a £1,000 more to push them over the line. If you're able to, that'd be great. That's Kersler Arts. K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R Arts. I also mentioned that I'd read and recorded one of the poems. It was called Going Equipped with a Pen by a guy serving in HMP McGilligan in Northern Ireland. Here it is. Going Equipped with a Pen Behind the walls and the wire fences, the locks and the razor wire, a young man walks to the writing class and his youthful heart on fire. He's learned to write good poetry and he has a girl at home and his love flows through the keyboard as he writes his girl a poem. He wrote it in his cell last night whilst listening to their song. True love is in the words he writes. He says it won't be long till the gates are open wide and he wants her to be there a smile upon her luscious lips and sunlight in her hair. In all the grey and loneliness where every man's alone, the young man walks to the writing class and writes his love a poem. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Anything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, sad art.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.